music makes me want to dance, but you, you don't want me to. I know you don't. Good to see you this morning. I'd like to welcome you. We are talking today about stuff. Do we have enough stuff? And when you compare yourself with everybody around you and compete with them, it's very hard to decide that you have enough stuff. So we're going to try to get some perspective on this. I had a really very close friend about 15 or 20 years ago. We were having lunch, and he was telling me about his trip he just took to Hawaii. We were starting the church, and hadn't uh, we didn't start with a lot of money, let's put it that way. And he was, he was saying on this occasion when he went to Hawaii, he had to actually be on a budget. Normally, he didn't have to have a budget when he went on vacation, but this time he had to sort of... And I'm thinking, I've never been to Hawaii. I've never actually been there. But I could rejoice with him. I was happy for him. And I actually understood. It was a bummer. There had been a little downturn, and he was a little more crushed than the last time. I got that. In those kinds of conversations, when you're looking at Facebook and seeing what's going on with everybody else, or you're having these conversations, what happens in your heart is very important. It's going to determine what you end up doing with your time and money. And so it's very, very important to understand uh, what God thinks about our stuff, our money and possessions. We tend to take the spiritual realm and the material realm and we separate them. We partition them off from one another. But as you get into the scripture, you find out that Life isn't partitioned into separate categories. The spiritual and the material or the financial and the relational or a work category or a health category and so on. We're integrated. We're we're all integrated. And when you decide to follow Christ, if you're considering what it means to follow Him and trying to think that through, you aren't deciding whether or not he is going to be the one you follow in a spiritual sense, in the spiritual realm, but you're deciding whether or not you're going to let him be the leader of every part of your life. When I decided to follow Christ, I turned my whole life over to him. I remember distinctly. I I had no idea what that would mean, what the details of, of that were going to look like. I had no idea. But I remember clearly at that moment I was willing to do whatever he wanted me to do. Whatever he decided to tell me to do, I was willing to do that. Now, I haven't always done that perfectly, and I certainly haven't always done it without a struggle. You know, as God began to show me specific things about what he wanted, it wasn't what I wanted. And I'd, I struggle, and that still happens today. We, we, we battle. But I put him at that moment on the throne of my life. He was, he was in charge of me. I remember that. And over the years, sometimes I've tried to wall God off. I'll say wall him off, partition him off from certain parts of my life. Uh, one of those was my baseball career. I decided after graduating from high school I was going to pursue a baseball career at Baylor. So I went to Baylor to play baseball. Didn't check in with God. I knew better than that. 
And so I just sort of walled him off. Played great baseball, but I was miserable. I, I've done this, it's interesting, I've done this in a way with my money as well. I grew up in a Christian home. My, my parents gave 10% of their income off the top, and they taught me to do the same. And so I had that, I, that habit made sense to me. 10%, give it to the church. But even my obedience, my understanding of what it meant to obey God, walled him off in my mind from the other 90. And so I, it, I did what I wanted with the other 90. The other 90%, it didn't, and it didn't go well at times. I haven't done that great without bringing it under his lordship. When there is any kind of partition that I build, any kind of wall that I build between God and an area of my life, since I've decided to follow him, and this, if you decide to follow him, if you haven't yet, this is what he's going to do. He will graciously work to break down the partition. Very gracious in the way he does this. But this is what he's done with me. He has graciously worked to break it down. And mainly he's done that by changing my perspective about that area of my life, which ends up changing me and the way I live. And when he changes me, it's always for his honor and my good. It's good for me. When I, when I cooperate with him and allow him to make the changes he wants. So today, we're continuing to talk about God's perspective on money and possessions. Specifically, what God wants me to do with the extra that, that we have. And you may not think you have any extra, but God, God wants us to, to see things clearly. So we're going to try to gain perspective on this because at the heart, God wants us to live for what really matters. He doesn't want us to live for the stuff. Because the stuff's going to get old, it's going to fade, it's going to rust, it's going to get corrupt, it's going to, it's going to go away, it's going to get outdated. He doesn't want us to live for that. He wants us to live for what really matters. Solzhenitsyn said, we always pay dearly for chasing after what is cheap. And that is very true in the realm of money and possessions. The Bible says it's true if we're chasing after the things, the stuff that's going to rot and rust and get outdated and go away. The Bible also says we can trade the, the stuff, the things that will last forever. If we choose the right perspective, we, we can trade this stuff. It's also true about Christianity itself. You don't want to pursue a cheap Christianity. You can try it. You can try to go halfway in on following Christ, but you're going to be miserable. It's not going to work out very well. You won't experience the joy that God really wants you to experience that you find when you give him everything and set your heart to follow him. So Jesus makes it very clear in his teaching and in the conversations that he had with different people that in order to follow him, we must decide to put him on the throne of our hearts and lives. We must decide to make him 
our leader. Listen to his conversation with a rich young man in uh, Luke 18. It's, it's recorded there. It says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. He had a lot of stuff, a lot of money and stuff. Now, why did Jesus tell this man to sell everything and give it to the poor so that he could have eternal life? Because Jesus has made it very clear in other teachings and other conversations that faith is the key that gives us eternal life. He said in John 5, whoever believes in me has eternal life. At that moment, when you believe in Christ, you go from death to life eternally. So why would he say this? Well, the key is in that word belief. When he said in John 5, that belief. Belief in the Bible means that you put your whole life in his hands. You give him everything, all of you. Not just part of you, but all of you. And the moment that you believe him to the point where you trust him with your entire life, you pass from death to life. You find eternal life in him. And you realize that you've got it all in him. Jesus stopped this guy dead in his tracks by telling him that he needed to give up everything. And follow him if he wanted to have eternal life. The reason he did that is not because that's a requirement for all believers, for all Christians. But Jesus knew that money was this man's God. He knew that that was the number one thing in his life. And he had to be willing to give that all up if he was going to experience life the way God meant it to be. Because if God, if Christ isn't Lord over your money and possessions, then he's not Lord at all. He's not in charge. One author I read this week says, It's impossible to become a fully developing follower of Jesus without also becoming a full developing steward of financial resources. That, that is really true. And Jesus knows how it works. And so at the very beginning... He wanted this man to understand the connection between money and possessions and following him. That it's all his. Not just the 10%, not just a certain percent, but the whole 100%. It's all his. And that's the kind of faith, the kind of belief that would be required to gain a, a, a right relationship with God and him. When you give everything to follow Christ you realize you've just been given everything you will ever need when you have him. He is everything that you will ever need. The backdrop principle for this series is God's current provision, his current financial provision for my life is enough. 
Now, our, our culture pulls us away from this reality. When we compare ourselves with others and compete with them, we never gain the right perspective. We never land in the right place. And the right perspective is crucial, and it grows out of the right awareness, the right knowledge, the right, the right understanding of reality. Awareness is a powerful thing. When you become aware of a need for change, when you become aware of a, a, a new way of looking at something, or aware of a, the damage that a current thought pattern or habit pattern in your life is causing you and the people around you, when you become aware of the benefits of changing your attitude and your approach to something, you want to change. So awareness is actually a very powerful thing. Before you became aware of what was going on, you didn't see a need to change. But when you begin to see things differently, wow, that gives you the motivation to change. If you can hold on to the right perspective, it helps you grow, it helps you change, it helps you develop as a person and as a follower of Christ. The right perspective leads to the right practice. Gaining the right awareness, the right understanding, the right perspective leads to right living, especially in the area of money and possessions. Look at Proverbs 18.15. It says, The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. So the prudent, prudent people are those who, they know the best way to accomplish a goal. And a wise person is someone who understands how life works from God's perspective. Both of these, the prudent and the wise, wise people are prudent, prudent people are not necessarily wise, but they, they're, they're heading that way. Um, they both want knowledge. This is an interesting Hebrew word. This is originally written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word is da'ath, and it, it, it's a certain kind of knowledge. It's not just information and facts. It's a certain kind of knowledge. It's information that shapes the way you see life. Information that increases spiritual understanding of and perspective on life. So da'ath is information that allows me to see the situations I'm dealing with and life from God's perspective, from the right viewpoint. In this message series, and what we do on Sundays in general, is we, we dig into the Bible to gain the right perspective on different aspects of our life. We want to learn to honor him and avoid the damage that we bring on ourselves if we operate with the wrong perspective. So that's what we're doing. You find this kind of knowledge in the Bible, and especially in the area of money and possessions. The Bible has a ton to say about Money and possessions. I was reading a message that Dave Ramsey delivered at another church this week. And uh, he said, if you read Proverbs over and over again, you will eventually have a master's degree in finance. And he's right. The reason is because that kind of knowledge is packed in Proverbs, not just in the financial realm. It's all through the Bible. But Proverbs, it says Proverbs 1, 7 in the description of why it was written, and this isn't in your notes, I'm off 
I'm, I'm going to come back in a moment. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So it's about that kind of knowledge. Proverbs is particularly a book about da'at, about perspective. And so you dig in, and God begins to turn lights on, open up your perspective to see things his way. I want to look at a parable that's packed with perspective for us about our money and possessions. It's in Luke 12. It's, uh, the title is The Parable of the Rich Fool. So we're going to dig in. And he told them a parable, Jesus did, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. It wasn't the guy who produced plentifully. It was the land that produced plentifully. And so the people who are listening to this story that Jesus told would realize he didn't do it. This was beyond his control. This was the blessing of God on this man. He was blessed by God and he had a, an amazing crop that was provided for him by God. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and goods. Now, we don't build bigger barns necessarily today. We get better cars, we upgrade, we trade up. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, check out the pronouns that he used, the grammar he used in this sentence. I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. He's, it's all about me, mine, my, I. He made the assumption that most of us would make. The extra is for me. That's the assumption he made. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Your barns are full, but who's going to get that stuff that's in the barns? That word required, is, this was originally written in Greek, it's, it's a word that's used when a lender calls in the note. So what God is saying here, the, the loan has become due. Everything you have, is on loan. This is what's being communicated by Jesus. Everything you have is on loan. It's not your stuff. It's not your body. It's not your land. It's not your mind. You didn't engineer all these things. I did. And the answer to that question, whose will they be? Who's going to get the stuff? Somebody else will get the stuff. Not because you've been generous, but because you're dead. The loan was called in. It's been required. You're gone. And then Jesus said, this is his point. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This man had extra, more than he needed. And he made the mistake of thinking that the extra was for him. Jesus made it clear that the extra is so that we can become rich toward God. We can use the stuff of this life to make an eternal investment. 
You become rich toward God by using the extra to give to his purpose, to his kingdom. It's going to last forever to his to the people that he's put around you who are in need. As you give to those kinds of things, you become rich toward God. Now, I was reading another message by a, a guy this week, and uh, he was talking about extra, and he's talking about Americans. And we tend to compare and compete, and we don't think we have extra, but we do. In fact, as I was reading this, he was talking about how most, you know, Americans have extra. We have extra stuff. And I was thinking, what? okay, well, this might be for somebody else because I have a daughter in college and I don't have that much extra, you know. So I, and so I'm putting up my defenses, you know, and I'm, I'm listening to this. And then he made a list. And he said, you, have, you and I have extra money if. And then he made this list. If we eat out, uh oh. If we go to the movies, I went to the movies on Friday. If we have two cars, if we own our own home, if we have an expensive coffee habit, sorry about that one. If we have an expensive coffee habit, we have extra. If we have a seasonal wardrobe, in, in other words, if we have clothes for work and then some clothes to relax, clothes to work out in, clothes to golf in or to, to work in the yard in. I've just been in India. They don't have seasonal wardrobe in India. They have one set of clothes that they wear for everything. We have extra. We do. And I, I'm not saying this to guilt you, just to raise your awareness so you, you can gain the right perspective on what's really going on. Then he went on. Have you ever traded or gotten rid of something just so you could get the new model? Have you ever had a garage sale and made pretty good money on the garage sale? How much food do you put into the garbage disposal? And okay, after that, I decided I've got extra. All right, I do. I get it. I've got extra. These things aren't bad in and of themselves. I'm only trying to raise your awareness, and that's what he was doing, so that we can adopt the right perspective on our money and possessions. Now, why does God give us the extra? Why does he give us more than we need? 2 Corinthians 9 tells us, He will always make you rich enough to be generous at all times so that many will thank God for your gifts which they receive from us. If we're going to grow in stewardship and generosity to be rich toward God, then most of us are going to have to shift our perspective to the main principle of this series. God's current financial provision is enough for me. What we do with the extra reveals our perspective on these things. Last week we looked at how contentment is priceless. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Contentment is extremely valuable, being content. And the reason is that contentment is valuable because it helps us focus on the things that really matter. Rather than chasing more stuff and more money, it allows us to really focus on the things that matter. And a fringe benefit of contentment is that it puts you in position 
to become a good steward of your money and possessions and to experience real joy as you handle those things well. So today I want to look at, I want to wrap up this, this message by looking at how to learn contentment and grow as a steward. Philippians 4, 11 says, Not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Contentment is something we have to learn. It's an acquired attitude or perspective. It, just, it doesn't come naturally to us. I don't know about you, but what comes naturally to me is more of a, it sounds like a murmur or a grumbling, not contentment. It's, it's sort of like planting a garden. You know, you want to plant a garden. You have a picture of what you'd like it to look like. You put out some, some plants. You, you drop in some flowers. And what happens over the next few months? The weeds are growing faster than the good stuff. You have to pay attention to the weeds. You have to get rid of the weeds. That's how we are. That's how our hearts are. That's how our minds are. We, the things that grow naturally in us, we have to pull them out. Or, or we have to deal with them some way. Grumbling can outpace the growth of the good stuff in our hearts. Things like contentment if we aren't dealing with it. Grumbling comes very naturally, so we have to learn contentment. Here are three keys to learning contentment. The first one is accept God's plan. Philippians 4, 12 through 13 says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Interesting thing about this statement Paul wrote it when he was a prisoner in Nero's dungeon. So he writes this from a dungeon. He says, I have learned the secret of being content. I know. And when he talks about being in need, he's talking at a whole other level than you and I have ever experienced. We've never been in need like he's been in need. And he's learned this secret. Paul's focus, here's the secret. Paul's focus is on God's plan, not his own plan. What God wants with his life, not what he wants. He could say this from a dungeon because he had accepted whatever God brings into his life as a part of God's plan. The circumstances that we are currently facing. They grow out of our choices, some things we chose to do, some things we chose not to do, but there are also circumstances that have flowed through the hand of God. They're from Him. He, He put us there as well. And so we've got to deal with that. What does that mean? What, what does that mean for me? If we rely on Him, we can do whatever He wants us to do. That's the secret. I can do all things in Him who gives me strength. Does that mean I can do everything I want to do through Him? Well, if I did everything I wanted to do, it certainly wouldn't be through Him. I can do what He wants me to do. I can, I can fulfill His plan and purpose for my life. 
with the strength that he provides. A lot of life is making choices and finding out what God is going to do in response, in discovering his plan for us. If we rely on him and focus on his plan, he gives the strength to deal with it. This takes us back to what I said last week. To accept God's plan, you should discover your position and accept it. I'm a steward, not an owner. A steward is somebody who takes care of things that belong to someone else. I'm just a steward of my life. That's what the rich fool found out in the parable that Jesus told. I'm just, it's all on loan to me. My life has been given to me by God. And someday, it's going to be required of me. It's going to be, the, the loan is going to be called in. And I'm going to go to face him. And what he's going to be asking me is, what did you do with the life I gave you? What did you do with the money and possessions I gave you? How did you handle those things? I'm a steward, not an owner. And what he has given me right now is more than enough to fulfill his plan for my life. That's what Paul was saying. I have exactly what I need from a dungeon in the middle of Nero's persecution. He could say that because his heart, his mind was focused on God's purpose and plan for him. And he said in another place in Philippians that he was he he felt like being in the dungeon, being in the prison uh, was an opportunity for God's purpose to, to move forward because he was chained to a guard 24-7, and he was able to tell the guard about Jesus. That's part of his plan. That's God's plan for his life. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do what he wants, but with the strength that he gives in the circumstances I find myself in right now, I can do it. Second key to growing in contentment is to refuse to compare. One of the major sources of discontent is to look around at how God is treating others. Uh, after Jesus died and was raised, he, he met up with his disciples. And in a conversation with them, he told Peter how he was going to die. It was an ugly death. He was going to die of crucifixion. Peter actually did die of crucifixion. He, he was crucified. He asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy of being crucified right side up the way Jesus was. And when Jesus told Peter this, look at how he responded. I I, I can identify with Peter. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, he's, he's looking at John. This little guy who wrote the book, he's, calling, he's talking about himself in third person. He, Peter looks at John and he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? How is he going to die? I mean, I'm going to die an ugly death. What about him? Is, are you going to give him a break or what? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain alive till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Someone else's path in life? has nothing to do with your path in life. It's completely irrelevant to you. That's what Jesus is saying. This is a common response, isn't it? Why me? Why do I have to deal with this, and why haven't they dealt with it? 
Why do they have all the money and the stuff and the possessions and not me? Life is not about the stuff. It's not. It's not about whether or not life is easy and we're experiencing ease because we have the stuff and the money that makes it so. It's about God's plan and purpose for us. The stuff is just stage props in life that allows us to play the role God's given us to play. The better question is, what role has God given you to play in his plan? What, what purpose does he have in your circumstances? What plan does he have for you? Like Jesus says, don't worry about him. You follow me. That's what it means to follow him. Your current circumstances, financially and every other way, will be woven into his plan if you trust him, if you decide to live for him. Which brings us back to what I said last week. Determine your priority and live it. Set your heart to live for God's plan and purpose, and he will meet your need and give you the best kind of life possible. That's what it means to put your life in his hands, to trust him with your life. The third key to learning contentment is to live on less than you earn. Now, this seems obvious, but Americans spend 125% of what they make. They they typically spend 125% of their income. Proverbs 27.20 says, Just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. It's interesting. The English word contentment comes from a Latin root that means contain. If we're going to break free from our financial circumstances and grow in contentment, we must construct some fences around our money. If we don't have a plan, a plan, what a plan does is you decide how you're going to handle your finances and you put this much there, that much here. If we don't have a plan, what happens is our desire, which is never satisfied, keeps working to convince our brain that we really need this stuff. We really need this thing. If we develop a financial plan, we're constructing fences around our desires. We're keeping them contained. That's why it's important for gaining contentment. We need to make a plan in which we determine how we're going to spend, give, and save, and live within the plan. So it's important to develop a plan that reflects your position and priority. If you don't have a plan, then you'll never know if you're content or not. Because spending is an indicator of contentment. If your spending consistently breaks through the fences of your plan, then you aren't content. God doesn't want us to pay dearly for chasing what is cheap. He he wants us to experience real life, the best kind of life possible. He wants us to know him and discover how priceless that is, to know him and to walk with him. I'd like to wrap up the message this morning by asking you to think through some next steps. If you would, pull the connection card out of the program and begin to fill that out. If you're a first-time guest with us, we're really glad that you're here. And I'd like to ask you to fill as much of that card out as you're comfortable filling out.
Um, if you're a regular, just your name and e- email is great. But please take this time uh, to complete any information that you haven't had the opportunity to on that card. And we're going to be receiving the offering in a few moments, and you could drop that in. Uh, I'm going to suggest some next steps that you'll find on the back of the connection card uh, and also on your, your listening guide as well. But here are some suggestions. My next step. Memorize Philippians 4.13. In context, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, I can do what he wants me to do with the strength he gives me to, to do it with. Because he's going to provide. I have everything I need to do that right here and now. Another step would be to create a thank list. I did this in college, and it helps. Uh, whenever I'm struggling with grumbling or complaining or murmuring, uh, very helpful to just get out a piece of paper or whatever, do it on your computer, whatever you want to do. Just write out everything you're grateful for, a thank list. I used to, in college, I carried one around with me for a while, and I'd pull it out, and I'd just... God, thank you for these things. If you can genuinely be grateful, that is a huge step toward contentment, which is a very valuable thing. So create a think list. Just write out everything you're thankful for. Uh, Another step would be to develop a financial plan by 311. Just set a deadline. I'm going to come up with a plan. If you don't have a plan, I'm going to come up with one. And then another step would be to attend the Getting Traction with Your Money seminar on the 4th. I don't know if that uh, still says the fourth. I put the wrong date on the listening guide, so it shows up on there. I take full responsibility. But it, it's the fourth, not the 14th, Sunday the fourth. Um, that would be a step you could take. Uh, there's going to be some great guidance in the seminar on how to develop a, a, a plan, a financial plan. If you're a, a first-time guest with us today, again, we're glad you're here. We have a gift for you. As you go through those double doors on the way out, to the left, there's a little higher table, and there's a book on that, that table called What on Earth Am I Here For? You can pick it up, and we hope you enjoy it and that you find it help, helpful. Um, as we wrap up, I'd like to introduce uh, a new member today, uh, Elisa Sifley. Elisa, would you stand? Elisa, we're really glad that you've become a member officially and have joined us. Uh, When you join Church in the Valley or when you become a member of a church, it's not like becoming a member of a country club or something like that. It's more like joining a team where you serve on the team. And Elisa's been serving, but we're really glad that you've taken that step, Elisa. we also have the women's conference coming up, just by way of letting you know. I'm, I'm the first one, I think, that's mentioned it in worship here. Women's conference theme is dressing up, wearing what matters to God. I think it's, it's going to be a good one. Uh, I'm not going to attend myself, but uh, I think if you're a woman, you'd really enjoy it. It's March 31st in Huntington Beach. The details are in the program and registration starts next week. So uh, those are some things that are coming up. Would you pray with me as the band comes forward up on stage? God, we thank you for the truth we find in your word that really does shape our perspective. If we, if we allow it to sink in, God, it will revolutionize our lives by the power and strength that you give us. 
to do that. So, Father, as we have heard your, your word this morning, um, I pray that you give us the strength to take the steps that you've laid on our heart to take. Father, we, we, we are so grateful for your graciousness and how you work with us, your patience and your kindness. Help us, Lord, to live in a way that brings honor to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.